to Point Me to Jesus. I am your host, Tara McClary-Reeves, and I am honored to be joined today by Scott Sauls. Scott is the senior pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He is the author now. Scott, you're going to have to help me. I think you're on your fifth book, that correct? Uh, five have been released, yes. Five have been released, and I know you're probably working on another one. Um, Scott actually worked under Tim Keller at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. He has planted two churches in um, the St. Louis and Kansas City areas, and he is truly a man after God's own heart. I am so grateful to have a history somewhat with Scott as we are both uh, Furman Paladins graduating from Furman University in the 90s and in both being Generation Xers. In in the 90s, Dallas Jenkins and I were going to write a book about Generation X. And a lot of times when you think of an X, you think of something on a poison bottle or something to stay away from. But we were going to concentrate on the fact that X kind of marks the spot. And um, I'm just so thrilled to have another Generation Xer that is marking the spot and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ and, and all that he thinks, says, and does. Thank you for the difference that you're making um, today. Well, thanks for having me, Tara. That's the first thing that came to mind to, uh, for me, too, is in a treasure hunt. X marks the spot on the treasure hunt map, right? So Exactly. So. So we're 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 a treasure of a generation, right? <laughs> with all the with all the grunge music and everything else notwithstanding, we're we're uh, we're the treasure generation. Yeah, let's let's just go with that. <laughs> exactly. And and pointing and pointing others to the true treasure of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and and that of his word. And and Scott, your books are so encouraging to my family and me and your devotions. We are gonna have a link to your website and some of your writings, but I do want to concentrate uh, primarily on your most recent, I think it was released this past June. Uh, again, you launched a book during a worldwide pandemic, which I'm sure was, was a stretch of faith right there, but tell us the subtitle to A Gentle Answer. So the, uh, the subtitle, Tara, is our secret weapon in an age of us against them. I, I think. That. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think that's what it is. Of course, when you think of a gentle answer, the, the first verse that pops into my mind is uh, Proverbs 15, 1, which I believe says, I don't have my Bible right here in front of me, but a gentle answer turns away wrath, that's um, right. but an angry word stirs up quarrels and contention. Yeah. Um, right. I really think after reading this, Scott, that it should be a prerequisite for any presidential candidate um, going into a debate now. Don't you agree? Uh, I don't know. I'm not counting on it, uh, making it to that level. But but uh, yeah, it's been quite a year. Uh, it, you know, political campaigns and otherwise. There's there's a lot of um, angst and taking sides and bickering. Um, uh, it's it's been it's been quite a year, and it would have never guessed it when when we started the book project, which was actually about a year and a half before yeah. uh, the release, year and a half to two years before the release, all, all I was thinking was that the last presidential election cycle was pretty painful. And maybe we can put something out there for 2020 that, that would help move the needle in a more um, empathetic direction, I guess. And, and, and then 2020 happened and, and we didn't even start talking about the presidential election until it seems like midsummer 
or mid to late summer because there was so much else going on. But it's, it's been a, it's been a tough year uh, for, for most people and, and definitely relationships have taken a hit, I think. Um, so hopefully, hopefully. One of your you latest devotions, and, and this wasn't in the book, but it, it really projected from it so well. Um, you had written that, isn't it interesting after an election that we immediately go into a season of Advent and the reminder that the govern the government is on on his shoulders, mm-hmm. and um, I just think that's such a pivotal reminder for all of us uh, as uh, that profess to be Christians, especially that you're not you're not shaken when you're so secure in, in God's mm-hmm. sovereignty. That's right. Uh, Jesus doesn't have term limits, and and we can be really thankful for that. Um, we can also be thankful that that he's not a bully. Um, he's he, and he doesn't have a self centered agenda. Uh, his his agenda is for the healing of the world uh, at at great cost to himself. Obviously, uh, in in his you know death and burial and resurrection and the humble life that he led, um, you know, as Philippians tells us, though he was in very nature, God, he made himself nothing. Uh, and it's, it's because of that, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, not because he's this, you know, put himself forward as, 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 uh, you know, this large and in charge, you know, you know, domineering kind of leader, but his, you know, he led with, I am gentle and humble in heart uh, and come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest uh, for your souls. But, but yeah, that passage that we read about, about Advent time every year from Isaiah, where it talks about, you know, his name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, who will reign on David's throne forever. And then, then it talks about what you just mentioned, his government, his rule, his reign as wonderful counselor, as mighty God, as everlasting father, as prince of peace. That, that Those words describe the kind of reign that he has. And, and what I love of that passage too, Tara, is how it talks about how of the increase of his government, there will be no end, which means, um, especially uh, in the new heaven and new and new earth, but I think in some ways even even now, but especially in the new heaven and new earth, kind of the last chapter, which is the one chapter of history that will never end. Yeah. Every day will be better than the day before. We'll feel like we're getting younger all the time instead of older all the time, stronger all the time instead of weaker all the time, uh, and the world would become more and more beautiful rather than more and more you know, tragic. And, and so, um, there are really amazing promises. Uh, I, I, it's just amazing to think about what our lives would be like and how our lives might be different if, if we believe them, uh, you know, to the depths of our hearts, um, which I know we all struggle to do. This book to me, after reading this and reading, uh, the other Jesus outside the lines, how complimentary of each other, these these two are. Jesus Outside the Lions is, is, is kind of a, I guess, a vision for how Christians, uh, both inside the church and out in the world, can love across the lines of difference, right? And so, so it's kind of a practical, here's maybe, here's a vision for what it could look like. Yeah. Um, a general answer is more about 
the heart that um, that the Lord needs to cultivate so so that we'll we'll have the resources and and kind of the inner life that that enables and frees us to uh, um, you know put aside the us versus them attacking postures and and go out into the world with a general general answer but a, a general answer turned out to be kind of a um, here's a few things to think about as we try to you know apply the gospel to our hearts you, you do make it very clear that um, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit and you don't get that without first being plugged into that power through that personal relationship right. with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think That's so right. often, I'm sure you in your congregation and in your readership, that sometimes is missed. But I think you do get a you, you make it very pronounced that you, you cannot have this without having the Lord Jesus Christ, having made that profession of faith uh, to him. Because you have a lot of people out there and what Lee and I both respect about your ministry. And, uh, and my dad says this, and he said this for years. He said, there are a lot of, of pastors in the pulpit that are sending people to hell with a positive attitude mm. um, or wow. you know, feeling good about themselves. Mm. And, you know, you, you are not doing a disservice to what you've been called to. And that's to point people to Jesus and that relationship with him. So I'm appreciative of that in this book that you make it clear this this is a gift of the spirit this is not something that you can manufacture on your own you know uh, it's not i mean we we have to we, we can only you know the apostle paul writes about this we can only give away what we've received first from from god and uh, I, I love that uh you know after you know reading through the gospel of john and Jesus has these seven I am statements. You know, I'm the good shepherd. I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the vine. You are the branches. You know, all seven of them. And then in Matthew's gospel, who was the, the tax collector, yeah. who was the most likely of all the gospel writers to be ostracized by uh, the religious community yeah. looked down upon, excluded be because of the profession that he had chosen and and um, and the sins that he had committed against his you know neighbors, yeah. and, and yet Matthew is the one who brings out um, the eighth I am statement of Christ, where he says, "I am gentle and humble in heart, and and if you come to me." that's how you'll find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And, you know, it's from knowing Jesus in that way um, that we become gentled, uh, right? Uh, you know, like all the fruit of the spirit, we can't get to any of them directly. We have to go through Jesus in order to become, you know, people who are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We cannot new year's resolution ourselves into the fruit of the spirit. Uh, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like a tree, an apple tree, right? The fruit, um, the fruit is a byproduct of a healthy root system and a strong tree. Uh, and, and the way that we tend to the root system of our lives is, is not by exerting ourselves to, to be more like Jesus as much as it is exerting ourselves to be with Jesus. Uh, and, 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 you know, like, like Mary who chose the better thing, sitting at his feet, um, you know, listening to what he has to say and receiving from him. Um, she chooses the better thing uh, so that she can do 
the kinds of things Martha was doing, showing hospitality, but from a, an uncluttered heart uh, and, and from a place of rest rather than from a place of anxiety and anger. Um, so there's a lot there. You know, and I think in this book to a gentle answer, you call us all out, those of us that are active on social media or those that are engaged with society, just, just in general, um, so convicting to really not just think before we speak, but to really pray <laughs> before we say anything. Mm -hmm. And to prepare our hearts and to really be led and, and not be that clogged channel, but that that um, open channel that he's the reservoir. We're just the channel of, of, of his blessing. You do a great job using personal illustrations or a lot of research and, and to certain, and I don't want to give away too much because I do want people to, to order this book, but was there one in particular that stood out to you an example of a gentle answer? Oh, I mean, I, there, there are a lot of great examples out there. And I, I think the one that, that really, you know, hits a chord with me, especially is the one that opens the book about John Perkins, who's, who marched with Dr. King, who's a, you know, a committed believer in Christ and, and who's still at it. I mean, he's in his nineties and he's still, you know, traveling around speaking and advocating for, um, uh, you know, for empathy, for forgiveness, for, um, you know, coming together and, and, and working toward a better future together, I think are, are his, his words. But he also said, this current generation is the first generation to turn hate into an asset. And, and, and he wasn't saying that in a flattering way. He was saying, this is a problem, uh, is that, is that we, we, we take things as, as important and, and as, as painful as as the race conversation and and then we weaponize the conversation um as opposed to asking ourselves the question what does it look like for me or for those that i you know live my life among to empathize with and to be quick to listen and slow to speak uh in 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 terms of understanding maybe people who experience more pain and and so perkins doesn't dismiss that at all as an African-American leader. And yet, you know, like, like those who, you know, were the best leaders in the civil rights movement, his, the, the, any, the resistance that he speaks of is also a peaceful one that where he's seeking to, to build relationship and, and build bridges yeah. um, rather than just continuing, you know, to, to fight. And, and, um, and that in of itself is a fight, right? Uh, it's a fight with our own hearts to, to adopt a different kind of posture where we can speak prophetic truth um, while also trying to win the heart of the person we're speaking to instead of to crush them. Uh, and so yeah. per John Perkins is probably the, the example that, that I think of first and most. I look at it and I think, wow, if if churches had had not segregated their pews in the, in the South, mm -hmm. we might be in a much different place now than, you know, we are. Um, mm -hmm. the, the very buildings and very places that you think would have been the less segregated, sadly, were the most segregated. Fear can be a driver in my life, you know, in certain situations. And so, I, you know, I, I would hope that the Lord would give me courage to, to be faithful, uh, you know, in terms of what would have been faithful in my role at that particular time. 
but That's another thing that I love that you did with with this word that you know you, you're really defining in this book so much because you make it about guts, you make it about grit. That it's mm-hmm. it's something that you really have to have courage to be able to speak gracefully. This is yeah. not the easy way. Our nature it's is not. to be defensive and argumentative. You know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I. I I, I think it's important to ask the question in this conversation, which was the greatest act of power on Jesus' behalf? To rise from the dead, which of course is, is a display of, of unprecedented world-changing power, or uh, to, to pray from the cross as God, Father, forgive them, mm-hmm. for they do not know what they do. Wow. Um, I don't know which was the greatest act of power, um, you know, because if, if, if you're God and you choose to make yourself nothing uh, before the people that you created and, and gave the gift of life and they turn on you in, in, in the way that, that the human race turned on Christ. Um, I don't know if I were in his position that the first thing I'd be thinking is father, forgive them um, to to me, gentleness is one of the most powerful acts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, think of think of Dr. King. People would punch him in the face. Um, you know, John Perkins got stabbed in the gut. They never punched back. Yeah. They never punched back. And, you know, they made a commitment to die before they punched back. Yeah. And, and it did cost King his life. Yeah. Um, you know, you could you could you could talk of other people in history, other other heroes in history. Um you know, who, who have courageously and with great power exercised the power of restraint yeah. um, when they, they could have retaliated and, and in an effort to defeat a monster, become a monster. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, I think gentle people, yeah. uh, and I'm not talking about like sappy, sentimental, you know, turn your, turn your eyes away from the hard stuff. Never, never talk about the hard stuff. Ne- never, never speak a carefully, you know, timed prophetic word. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm talking about, um, you know, the power of the, the Amish community. I think, I think I, I wrote about them in the book where yeah. a shooter came in and, and into a schoolhouse and killed a, a bunch of little girls. And, and, uh, while while not at all diminishing their grief and, and while grieving deeply uh, and, and wrestling deeply with appropriate righteous anger and indignation and pain, yeah. this Amish community still showed up that same week to the funeral of the shooter uh, who took his own life after taking all of these other young lives. The, the, the whole Amish community shows up at the funeral to minister to the man's family, uh, asking themselves the question, what must it be like to be this man's widow or this man's children? Uh, and, and they take up a collection to, to, to support the financial needs of, of the family of the person who did such harm to their community that you say all, all you want about the Amish community. But that's what fundamentalism looks like when fundamentalism is beautiful. And when it when it's built around 
fundamentalism gets a lot of criticism because it, it, it sort of gets labeled as, 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 you know, the, the, the angry, angry, holier than thou judgmental posture. But it, it's like what Tim, Tim Keller's wife, Kathy says, I've never met an Amish terrorist. <laughs> she said, have you ever met an Amish terrorist? It's that mm-hmm. it's not that fundamentalism is bad. It, you know, the, the question is, what are your fundamentals? Yeah. And if your fundamental is, is a God who cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and that's the basis around which you organize your life. Then, then you're probably going to be a pretty life-giving fundamentalist, as that Amish community was. So, I'm saying a lot. I'm talking a lot here, but but well, no, that particular story was very moving to me personally. No, it it is so good, and just that whole concept of of gentleness, and it's so refreshing. I mean, as we enter into a new year, um, that 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 would be a goal for for those of us that are in. Uh, in Christ, um, because I think um, that sometimes we can be the most guilty for not being gentle. And, um, you know, that, again, being a fruit of the spirit, we read a book when we were first married um, called Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar. And it was so pivotal for us to read that book at the start of our marriage, um, as we were growing in Christ as well, to be aware of the temptations for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the importance of setting up and establishing those, those hedges of protection. You are, you know, you are one of the most well-known pastors around right now. And eyes are constantly on you and, and Patty and in your ministry. You're not just, you're not just a, um, a target for the enemy. You know, you're the bullseye in a sense. In the last, what, nine years that you've been in Nashville, you know, you're going on your fifth, probably sixth book. What are some hedges that you and Patty have put in place in your marriage, in your ministry to, um, to look towards that finish line and determine to finish strong? Oh, that's such a great question. That's, this is actually such a real time conversation. You know, we, 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 uh, well, I, I turned 50 a couple of years ago and she's about to, and, and so, you know, we're entering this decade where, um, you know, you, you, you kind of start to think less about, okay, what kind of legacy are we going to leave? What are we going to accomplish? What kinds of things are we going to do with our lives? And then you start to think about, you know, wait a minute, um, what's really important? You know, what, what, what do what do I want my children to be, yeah. you know, thinking about at my funeral? Um, you know, and, and what do I want my children to be carrying into their marriages and their parenting and their futures? And it's, it, it, we're getting, I think we're starting to get a lot more focused on, on what it means to abide in Christ and to live healthy, <laughs> you know, help, not, not just, you know, going to the gym, but, but, but being the kinds of human beings that, that resemble the Beatitudes or that resemble the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Um, and what that's led us to Tara is for the first time in our 25 years of marriage, we have started to see a counselor, uh, on, you know, at least twice a month. And, um, and that's not because we've got a ton of, 
you know, crises and fires going on. It's, it's mainly that we want to get as healthy as we can and be as healthy as we can and remain as healthy as we can, um, you know, moving toward the future. And now I've started in, in any premarital counseling that I do, I, I've started to tell couples, I really, really want you to, to do marriage counseling your first year of marriage. Before you develop any bad habits or problems, get with a good marriage counselor because preventative maintenance, just like with a car, preventative maintenance is so much less costly yeah. than than corrective maintenance in, in retrospect. And so, so we're leaning into that. Um, we both have, you know, groups of she's got a, some, a group of women. I've got a couple of groups of guys where we, you know, fellow leaders in different you know areas where we kind of understand each other and pour into each other. Um, but, uh, really it's people, Tara, we're surrounding ourselves. We're trying to surround ourselves with, with people that we want to be like, you know, and a lot of them are older than we are. And so that's part of it. And then of course there's, there's ministry, uh, but that's awesome. Who would you say is your hero of the faith from God's word? Oh, from the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jesus, obviously, but you can't, you, you got to pick somebody else. Right. Um, I want to say Isaiah. Um, I want to say Isaiah. And part of that is probably because we just wrapped up a series on Isaiah and I've just fallen in love with, with the way he approaches life. But um, Isaiah, I found, I find to be one of the most realistic and the most hopeful books ever written in the history of the world. And, and it's just, it's just remarkable because uh, his life was so hard. Uh, it, it was brutally hard. And yet the more difficult things got for him, the more hopeful he became about God. Uh, and so I want to I want to learn from that. So I would probably say Isaiah. As an audience, I want you to make sure that you go and look up Scott Sauls. We'll have a link to his website and have a link to all of his books. Scott, what, are, what is the latest one you're writing? Well, I just I just started a new writing project uh, about three weeks ago. And um, the working title right now is All You Who Are Weary. And, or I'm sorry, you who are weary, and it's based on Matthew 11. Uh, uh, and the subtitle is uh, Silencing the Voices of Past Guilt, Present Sorrow, and Future Fear. And so, um, so yeah, it's a book about what Jesus has for us in our weariness. Mm-hmm.